This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com and the Radio.com app. For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins in the NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. Yeah, yeah. With Ken Laird from the Craig Hill Morning Show. That's evidently what Ken Laird wants you to believe. And WEEI.com Bruins writer Matt Kalman. Everything gonna be all right? Place him up for some bees talk right now. It's the Skate Pod. Sunday Skate, I'll give it a B, B plus. On WEEI. Oh, this is a big time show. It is a big time show. All right, good to be back at the Skate Pod. And uh, you know it's a big time show. Laird and Kalman are in the house for the 2020 launch of the uh, <laughs> podcast. And uh, good job, I got to say, by our, our buddy Mike Loftus. Yeah, he's great. Hung in there for a good 30 minute. If you missed that, uh, best of the decade. So Yeah, you can listen to that anytime because it's still the start of the decade. So right. So you can still look back. We're on to the 20s. And we're brought to you by Red River Technology, as we always are. And we want to thank those who have given us positive reviews, five-star reviews, wherever you find us, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Downcast, et cetera, and, et cetera. And if you're the one who left the Calman is a curmudgeon or something, Calman well, could be true. less of a curmudgeon review. That's me. That goes down as a five-star anyway. <laughs> that's the point, right? Isn't that the point of this, to be a curmudgeon? Yeah. Are you, are you spending it optimistic this decade, or how, how you Absolutely. feeling? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, we're not going to have any Brady talk on the show. The Bruins, as far as I know, aren't cheating with video review like the other teams in the city. So we're, we're a good chance. Best team here. in town. There's not even a debate anymore, right? <laughs> it's uh, the best, cleanest. Best chance to win a title, I would say, anyway. And uh, we have a big guest again today, full of big name guests. Uh, he's a local guy. He's the first overall pick in the 1983 draft. Dude, this would be a, a stumper for a lot of people. It's kind of crazy when you think about that. He came pretty sure right out of high school. I mean, this is the way things worked back then. It's pretty amazing. And. I'm pretty sure he went to Mount St. Charles, which has produced a ton of uh, NHL talent, you know, and so uh, different era. And, you know, I guess when you guys, I think you always look at it that a guy doesn't pick where he gets drafted. So when you're the number one overall pick and it doesn't quite pan out, you know, obviously things happen and you you move on. But he's made a heck of a career for himself, agent, GM, and now uh, NHL network analyst. So uh, interesting. And the answer to our trivia question, it is Brian <laughs> Lawton, who is uh, the first overall pick of the 1983 draft. NHL Network, former GM of the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, former agent actually in there as well, and a longtime player, six different teams over 12 seasons, including a little stint with the Bruins. Uh, but that draft is amazing. Uh, Cam Neely went ninth that year. Wow. Um, LaFontaine third, Iserman fourth, Tom Barrasso fifth. Maybe that could be our like uh, skate podcast bingo. We could try to get everybody from that first round of the draft, okay. right? Okay. How about that? Let's go for it. I don't think, think Barrasso is doing interviews, but <laughs> we'll try it. We got Neely. 
We got Neely. We have some issues to discuss. Now, it's been a while. Uh, I think nine games have passed in the uh, Bruins world since uh, you and I last did a live issue. Isn't it, isn't it great that, you know, the great timing, we could have been sat here and ripped the Bruins for this whole 15-game stretch, and then they go out and play maybe one of their best games in months uh, in Nashville on Tuesday. Even and, uh, Brett Ritchie's getting praised for even Tuesday. Even Brett Ritchie's getting praised for being present. <laughs> <laughs> but in that stretch, let me just buzz through these real quick. I know you like to look ahead and not back. But this yeah. is a little recap, okay? okay. Islanders, shootout loss at home. Nashville overtime loss. Good performance against the Capitals, stunning everybody. Seven three blow. Although outshot like forty four to seventeen in that game. True. If, if Brayden Holtby shows up, it's a different hockey game, probably. True. Uh, home and home series sweep of the Sabers three nil and three two at Jersey. Another shootout loss. The uh, Columbus overtime uh, debacle, and uh, then Edmonton blows about four to one on the Saturday afternoon yeah. game until the Nashville game at night. In fact, I would say that Washington game. As impressive as it is to beat a team like that, that's probably the class of the NHL right now in that fashion, there were two concerns. One, outshot the way they were and outchanced the way they were in that game. And the fact that they didn't stand up to the Capitals, lost two of their defensemen in that game to legal, but I would say cheap hits, at least the second one, the Oshion McAvoy. It's clean. It's unnecessary. Um, The Wilson thing... You know that was still it was still a hockey game at that point, and so you can't be, blame them. And, and the response was uh, a push or a shove here or there later in the game, but no one uh, tangling the way they should have. Uh, Brett Ritchie was in the lineup that night, and t- tellingly, I believe he was out after that maybe for a couple of games until the injuries bug bit again. I mean they they did not stand up for their teammates, and for a team that likes to say we have enough toughness, uh, where was it that night? You well, know? is that a cause and effect of Chara dropping the gloves? And that's exactly and so and so it comes full circle the the Nashville game. Not only did they play well, support the puck, manage the puck better. The the Chara thing, he they finally went over the edge because you know what? Most of that game the, there were predators taking liberties. Uh, Matt Grizzlick took a beating from uh, not only that that Trenton guy that uh, Chara fought, but uh, Austin Watson throwing bodies around. Um, there was a lot of hits, and I thought the Bruins as a team were more physical in that game than they got credit for because they only were credited with eight hits. I saw you skeptically. The last time a National Hockey League got credited with stat- eight hits in a game, I think it was like 1932 or something. <laughs> I mean, come on. There was definitely it's always more in favor of the whole team, always. And, and as I wrote, I was impressed, and I always say this, Sean Corrales took a boarding penalty. And to me, that's good. That's a it sign. Worth it. Yeah. That's a sign of life. It's a sign that you're being aggressive. And that's the issue with Brett Ritchie is that he has four minors this year. He has a one fighting major and four minors, and I think they're all stick infractions. And it's like you just want to tell this guy if you go out there and you put one guy's head through the through the glass, and if it's a, a Canadian or a Maple Leaf especially, but if it's anyone. The fans are going to get off your back. They're going to love you. You need to hit people to play on this team if you can't do much else. Well, Andy Brickley was praising him left and right for the Heinen goal. Well, you got presence in front there. Come on, <laughs> Tuesday night. Hey, he when you're when you're when you're trying to cross go above the bar and the bar <laughs> is zero and you register a one. Hey, whatever it takes. You know. Hey, I told you before the year began this was going to happen. Yes. Did I not? Well. Was yeah, I not absolutely. The original I tried, like as I always do. I tried to be the optimist and say, "Hey, you know what? They brought this guy here for a million dollars. They must have seen something <laughs> in him." And he just continues to fail. And that game in Jersey, which I'm more bitter about, maybe because I spent money to go to it. Yeah. Because <laughs> once a year we take my son to a road game since I can't take any home games off, and not to mention you have to mortgage your house to go to TD Garden for a game. But 
Um, having a lineup with uh, Richie and Bacchus in it, I mean, I, I, I would assume that we don't ever see that oh, again. That is crossing Because that was really bad. Uh, a sleepwalk performance. Probably not the right day for Bruce Cassidy to send the message to Danton Heinen. They're bringing the New Year. I mean, that was a little ridiculous. And I think if you haven't – you know, I think Richie – has a chance this year to be the Bacchus of last year where he maybe has to go into a playoff series that's getting a little rough. And if he was willing to actually be rough, he can maybe be a, a little bit of a change of pace for two games here and there. The problem is they they still have Bacchus. So they have two guys doing that same role, and clearly they need to upgrade. Well, you heard the rumors, although it's not going to happen now, that the Bruins were kicking the tires on Justin Williams, right? Uh, another guy the that they, they now, don't need. They need. Yeah, but but he's got a little physical to him. A little bit. But you know what? People comparing that to Mark Ray. I mean, Mark Recchi is a whole other animal. He's a Hall of Fame player. That that team needed his leadership and experience. This team does not need that element at this point. They've got plenty of experience and leadership well, no, going no. right but, now. But I'm saying, yeah. they are on the market for a right. guy who brings a little. But they edge. need a legit in his prime. They need Chris Kreider. That's what they need. And the, the fact no, is, you, I want you to admit they need some additional toughness. They need some toughness. They they not only need a score. I think Wagner and and Corrali, who are going to be in the lineup regularly, there's enough. And when you have Big Z in there, and McAvoy's going to have to you know, pick up some of that slack, too. They have Big to be Z tougher. There. You want the poor guy fighting every night? I well, mean, you're talking in the playoffs. You're saying toughness. They're yeah, not going to well, be fighting in the playoffs. You just need to be intimidating in a, in a way. And they, they've showed that last year. I mean, Coyle and Johansson didn't add them toughness. It's, they're just as tough. But they get in a series with the Capitals. Wouldn't you fear, by the end of the series, like the St. Louis series, they're going to get uh, you know, they're going to get bludgeoned. Well, that, that that might be where the other thing comes in. I think we were going to talk about this in the, in the back end of the show. That comes back to that third pair D, where it would have been Kevin Miller if you're if he's healthy. Uh, Connor Clifton. By the way, any update? Any any? What's the latest Kevin Miller? <laughs> I think he's a long ways away. Oh, he had the second treatment. He's. I don't think he's even skating now. So uh, it's just a bad break on his part. You know, there's nothing you can do. You break your leg twice. Modern medicine can't even catch up with that. I mean, are we talking retirement? I mean, it's been so yeah, long at I this mean, point. I mean, they're not talking about it, but you have to always think yeah. about it. I mean, for a team that's used to the Gord Kluzaks of the world, we know how that goes. And even, you know, yeah. Cam Neely, when uh, his, he would have his setbacks and whatnot. But uh, but anyway, yeah, back to It the, goes the, back to the third pair D and, and the fact that, A, Matt Grizzlick is much better on the left side than the right. He, he's made major strides this year. And, you know, John Moore and Stephen Camfer and, and even Connor Clifton, who's had some upside, but clearly, you know, the NHL defenseman takes X amount games to become a legitimate, you know, player every night. And he's not necessarily going to bring the toughness. He hits big, but he's not necessarily going to, you know, scare anyone out right. there. Right. They have to maybe think of the uh, getting a Kevin Miller type to play on that third pair with, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I haven't seen him play much, so I'm not going to say this is the guy, but when, when you hear like Zach Bogosian is available from Buffalo and, Maybe not as much now because they traded Scandella instead. You have to be thinking about some size and some and some girth and some toughness on that third pair yeah. to overcome the, the Grizzly Krug size disadvantage. Which although they made it to the Cup final, they made it to the last year with it. Right. I mean, we always say that that can't be the answer to every question. And maybe yeah. again, if Grizzly doesn't get blown away, maybe they win that series earlier. Maybe things you know everything plays out a different way, and you have to look at the factors that cost them that series. And yes. St. Louis wearing them down physically was part of that, and part of that was them knocking <laughs> Matt Grizzlick out of the lineup. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the slump, uh, the slide, the slump, whatever you want to yeah. call it. I mean, they just got their first win in, in four games, but in general, the scoring was down. 
So the biggest issue people were talking about, of course, was the was the yeah. support scoring, which they got in droves Tuesday. Right. Is that a sign? No, because emerging. It's not. Well, we'll see. I mean, that's what it's going to come down to is what they do this next bunch of games because coaching change or not, Nashville's biggest problem this year is keeping the puck out of the net. And so they didn't do it. They gave up four goals. My preseason cup pick, by the way. Oh well, that's a great one. You should you should be proud of that one. And wait, uh, wait till Harden nut John Hines turns him around. <laughs> you wait, just like with Baruby last year. Uh, and can we just say on John Hines? I'm just I just want to go on record as being, you know, as much as I am for equality in this world. I'm glad that we finally live in a world where an American coach who coaches the team to the worst record in the league can get recycled yeah. within 30 days of him being fired <laughs> because usually it's just these Canadian bozos like yeah, it wasn't the Babcock. Sutters and Hitchcocks over and Babcock. whoever. Exactly. I'm glad that finally Americans can take the jobs that Canadians used to get. Yeah. But uh, back to that, you know, listen, they lost a lot of – you just read the list. They, they lost to a lot of crappy teams in, in a lot of odd ways in that stretch, right? So to go down and beat Nashville, which has a lot of talent – Great, and you did what you were supposed to do. I'm glad they found, they, they had it done much of that. Let's see how they build off of this now and they can keep it up. I mean, the, the schedule gets so much tougher going coming ahead. So do you fear Tampa and Toronto looking at the uh, Yeah, I, I think I feel cha- fair Tampa at this point. I mean, uh, they've they've come together. They're still the same deep team. Maybe the, the, the troubles that they've had, not just in the playoffs, but at the start this year have kind of built some character. And, you know, they'll probably make a move at some point of the deadline. I mean, they're always looking to supplement their D. And um, they're just – they're another team that, um, like St. Louis, where they they have the right balance of skill and grit, but they also have depth. I mean, you, you'll turn on a lightning game some nights and you'll be like, who's this third or fourth line wing I never heard of? But they go in there, they plug in, and they just produce. And that's, that's the, the thing that you have to love about St. Louis to me is every time you put them on – you see a Jordan Cairo or a Robert Thomas, but uh, they just have so much depth that they plug guys in and they yeah. just um, they just produce, and you don't notice a drop off. Now the Bruins in the past have had that. Uh, it's been harder this year, you know. I mean, Stadnicka two games was fine. Um, why they're not giving him more of a run at this point? Well, that's the question. I mean, must and, and be Don a cap Sweeney, issue at this Sweeney point. Sweeney brought his name up right when asked yeah. about trade deadline. Right thoughts on on the flagship. So you have to assume that, that that's coming at some point, the, the recall again to do that. And it might be, like I said, it might be a cap issue because they have injuries and they have, they're up against it. Uh, I'm sure Studnick at his entry level has bonuses that might affect things. They're, they're working with the LTIR to, uh, you know, with Miller on there. So, and they probably don't want to necessarily put camp for, you know, they, they're kind of just trying to stay pat, but you got to wonder how much longer they can go with the, with the Ridgy Backus thing and not have, the uh, the top nine slither because you know Bjork on the right side. Let's hey Bruce Cassidy. How about you finally just give somebody a run there, give him three, four, five games. Hopefully he stays healthy and they can do that. But then that obviously thins out your your, your bottom six again, right? And uh, that's been a problem, right? I mean, it's, it's the the fourth line magic yeah. has just not been there. Yeah, you know, I keep meaning to I keep wanting to write about how the fourth line hasn't been as good. But if you look at the, the lo- my log. They haven't played together like yeah. two games in a row because he has to keep moving guys to other lines because injuries and, and whatnot. So um, that makes it difficult too to, to see. I think these last two games. I think to me, um, the Edmonton game as bad as that loss is. Corrali was probably their best forward, which is a, you know a reflection on the team, but also a sign that he's coming around. Uh, Wagner was a little better in, in, in that in that role too, and then so then they played together. 
well, they played together a little bit in the in the Nash uh, game, and uh, Corrali and Wagner looked fine, and, and Lindholm is just Lindholm. I mean, people rip on him, but he's just he's exactly what he's supposed to be. He's a 13th yeah. forward. He can penalty kill. He can win some faceoffs, and, and, he, and he plays a, a, a decent little game. You know, he's got a little bit of an edge to, uh, to him for a Swede, and uh, so you've you got to see if that line can get back together and uh, and, and be effective, and maybe they're, they're finding their legs. They did get another Bergeron power play goal Tuesday uh, with uh, some signs of life from DeBrusque and uh, Pasenak, 32nd goal. Beautiful, beautiful move. Still on pace for like 60, I assume, <laughs> something like that, right? Yeah, they're just over halfway through the year, so yeah, he'd be, I mean, he'd be over 60. Uh, I don't think he'll get 60, but 50 is still unbelievable. 18 goals in his last, uh, you know, whatever, 40 games? That's, just, that's very doable. He just uh, takes your breath away. Lock. He just takes your breath away sometimes with yeah. the goals. I mean, the way he can get that shot off and... It is Ovechkin-esque where you say, oh, how come the goalie couldn't stop that? But you can't see it, and you, you just can't react to he it. he called you out again this year for uh, bad <laughs> questions or what? No, we've been we've been tight, tight this year, yeah. Good buddies. I see you get some FaceTime over there with uh, uh, lately with a lot of the uh, media coverage, so you're becoming a star, which is good to see. <laughs> skate pod is launching you. By the way, we believe Sunday skate, because of the Patriots exit, coming soon, <laughs> coming soon to a Sunday morning near you. We're not going to be that, we'll lock that, that in. You're not just going to fill that time slot with uh, Tom Brady watch. You know, two That's hours of just we talking are 69 about Tom Brady. days until uh, Tom Brady free agency, and we were counting that down on the morning show. Uh, before we get to uh, Brian Lawton, then uh, we'll ask him about all these uh, separate issues. What's the do you, do you sense the team is in any kind of panic over the standings getting tighter or uh, or the little bit of a a lull, yeah. or are they just kind of blowing it off? I honestly what? think they don't look at the standings. I think the fact that they were playing like crap kind of was affecting them a little bit. Maybe I'm always I'm always on this fence, like whether I want to see the team panic a little bit and get and get more aggravated, or if they're just you know whistling past the graveyard type stuff. I yeah. think they kept it pretty much balanced. But I think you saw in that Nashville game some of their aggressions come out. Probably good timing on that mom's trip. I mean, I don't want to give it too much. You know, people saying that the moms won them the game. I don't want to go that far, but it definitely, you know, changes it up. The monotony of the whole thing, coming off the short off season, they didn't really do a team bonding thing, right? Because they don't have they didn't have time for that. They weren't trying to keep the uh, the training camp tight. So, you know, uh, that I think that's, again, that's where it goes back to this leadership group. They, they kind of know how to, like, when it's time to panic, when it's time not to. And it's probably good for them, though. Even if they're not looking at it, it's just good for them to know that uh, that, that some of the division is going to play for them because we saw what happened to the Lightning last year. That you get you get so relaxed when you have a twenty point lead. Yeah. So it, it only it can only be positive that they get pushed a little. All right, let's get to our big guest of the week. Well, our next guest is we've had a lot of famous people on the podcast, Matt, but we've never had a first overall pick in the draft. This I is don't true. Believe. Hall of Famers, you know, current players, current GMs, presidents, but no uh, number one picks. And a local guy, of course, raised in Cumberland, Rhode Island. Brian Lawton is now at the NHL Network. He was a player. He was been an agent. He's been a general manager. And you can watch his analysis right now on the NHL Network throughout the regular season and at NHLNetwork.com for your local channel listings. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, guys. Thanks for having me on. You still get back to the region? I do, absolutely. I've got family that lives in North Atterboro, and uh, I enjoy getting back to any time I can to New England. It's a wonderful place. It was a wonderful place to grow up, and although I live in the Midwest and work in New York predominantly now, I love any time I get a chance to be back in New England. And how panicked were your Bruins fans' family then when uh, the team went to this recent slide? And what, what were your kind of reaction to how they uh, kind of you know tapered off after the hot start? 
was a little bit surprising. You know, it's not one thing about the Boston Bruins. Uh, you can say what you want about their season. It was a great start. Uh, but of all the teams in the National Hockey League, nobody is in games like they are as consistently. Uh, they weren't necessarily getting the wins that they would have liked, but uh, they're, they're an impressive team, what they've been able to deal with injury-wise, how they've been able to continue to roll. Uh, the emergence of David Pasternak has been impressive. The continuation or consistency of Big Z, goaltending. Uh, there's a lot of things to love about the Boston Bruins. I think Don Sweeney is doing a fantastic job with that group, as is Cam Neely. And, of course, the coaching staff has been tremendous. Brian, we ask pretty much every guest we have on the show uh, this question. We'll ask you as well. Would you play Pasternak with with Marchand and Bergeron, or would you break that uh, up and spread the wealth a little bit? Uh, I would play them together personally at some point. You know, when you look at the ages, obviously, of Bergeron and and, um, Marchand, you got to start to think about what maybe life will look like down the road without those two players on the club. Pasta, of course, being significantly younger than those guys and uh, having really a breakout year. Um, it's an exciting time, but you, you have to think somewhere down the line at uh, 23 years old, Pasternak eventually will be playing maybe with a guy like uh, Jack, Jack Stutnika. You know, he's a guy that's just 20 years old and playing his trade down in the American League. And, you know, the thing that's so exciting about the Boston Bruins to me is they have an excellent team now. They're going to have an excellent team in the near future. And they have the makings of an excellent team beyond that. So the organization is just in fantastic shape when you look at it from top to bottom. Well, it's interesting you bring up Stanika as well. Don Sweeney was uh, uh, talking to the media here uh, yesterday or a couple days ago, and he brought his name up in, in regards to the trade deadline, Brian, and said basically we want to see what Stanika can do in relation to what we're going to do with the deadline. Now, he's only been up here for a couple of games, but he's playing pretty well in the AHL. How, how do you think Stanika factors into to what they might do at the, at the trade deadline? Uh, I think he's a really valuable chip, and – you know, when you get into a position like the Bruins are, and, there, and then there's really three other teams, in my opinion, that are somewhat similar. Washington, of course, uh, Colorado um, also would be another one in St. Louis. Uh, all those teams are in go mode. They all have the highest percentage of opportunity to win the Stanley Cup. So that'll force you at times to do things that you wouldn't under different circumstances. A guy like Jack Studnika is a guy that I think you want for the future, and yet it could be the difference uh, from bringing in one more player that can help you right now to win a Stanley Cup. I know the Bruins would love to get back to the final, but uh, more than anything, I think they'd like to win the Stanley Cup, not uh, just get back to the final. Yeah, they were able to do that last year, obviously, add Charlie Coyle and Marcus Johansson to get them to Game 7 in the final without mortgaging too much of the future. But So when you put on your GM's hat and look at it, if you're Don Sweeney and you came up one game short last year, would you be more aggressive to maybe jump in if, it, if the price is higher for a Chris Kreider or, or someone along those lines to kind of maybe put you over the top? I think if you could come up with that one player that works for you, um, and ideally if it worked for you for, as more than just a rental, like Charlie Coyle has worked out with them, then, yeah, you might push yourself. But in terms of last year, boy, I thought Don Sweeney did a lot. I, I 
he'd be completely too hard on himself if he went home and evaluated himself and said, I should have done one more thing. They had a chance to win that final last year. And as a general manager, it's more cerebral. Uh, but Don Sweeney did everything. Uh, if I were a player on that team, I would have looked at hit the job he did and say, this guy did everything he's supposed to to help us. Ultimately, the players came up just a little bit short. Um, you can live with that, though. When you play the way that they played throughout the playoffs, it sounds uh, like a loser's mentality, but it's not. You can you can live with giving everything you have and not coming up with the big prize. That's what happened to Boston last year, in my opinion. I know it was incredibly disappointing for them, but uh, it wasn't because they Don Sweeney didn't do something or Bruce Cassidy missed something. Uh, you know, it's just uh, there's a lot of really good teams in this league, and there is an element of luck involved, and with just an ounce more of luck, they would have won the Stanley Cup. You know, Brian, you brought up uh, Zidane Chara a little earlier, and just he's coming up on 1,000 games as a Bruin, and we know what he's kind of meant to, to, to Boston and the Bruins being uh, the captain from, from day one that he started playing here and all the things he's accomplished. Uh, and the overall NHL scheme of things, I mean, what, what do you think uh, Zidane has kind of meant to, to the league as a player and, and maybe as a person as well? I think he's been a game changer in terms of what he's meant to the league. We just hadn't seen anybody really come in with that type of size and have that kind of impact, you know, from where he started with the New York Islanders. And, you know, he really developed, I thought, quite a bit more in Ottawa. But where he is now with the Boston Bruins has been absolutely remarkable. He, to me, is one of the greatest free agent signings of any player in the history of the league. Uh, Jeff Gordon was the interim general manager, I believe, at that time. Peter Shirelli was on his way coming over. Right. Uh, and those guys deserve a lot of credit uh, for that signing because it changed the fortunes of the Bruins in a way that nobody imagined. Everybody thought he would be a good player, but he's been a game changer. And, you know, what's really impressed me most about Z is the way that he has driven a cultural change. I mean, and I mean one that is really significant in the world today. Uh, just the concept of the way Z treats the rookie players, uh, making everybody feel welcome, <clears throat> doing away with kind of that moniker of you're a rookie or you're be- beneath the rest of the group. That's been part of the secret sauce for me for the Boston Bruins. And it wasn't that way. When I was a player, I remember thinking this is the stupidest thing in the world (laughs) going on in terms of the treatment of rookies. I literally, you keep your mouth shut. uh, You're a high draft choice. You're a young kid. But I just remember having thoughts of, you know, this is so dumb. Are we really trying to get ahead as an organization by treating our young people this way? Is this really the path to success? And it took a long time for anybody else to really come in and have the courage to make the changes that uh, I think Z has driven home there more than any other player in the league. And I commend him for that. It happens to fit with what's going on sure. for equality throughout society, but uh, it was just, it's sheer genius in my opinion, and it's incredibly courageous. And, and that's part of the greatness of Zidane Char. It's not just his, hulking size and strength, but it's also his ability to single-handedly change a culture of an organization. 
We're talking to Brian Lawton of the NHL Network. Check him out at NHL Tonight and visit NHLNetwork.com for your local channel listings. You can find where Brian and the gang are. Uh, speaking of, you know, Char, you, you talk about his culture change. He's been here, and then also at this point in time, they have two little guys, right? Krug and Grizzly, who are back there, and uh, we, we've talked every week as well about Krug's future with the organization. Is there a spot for both of them here? If, if you're a manager, are you concerned about the lack of size to invest in both those players long term? Uh, not as concerned about the lack of size in today's game. You know, we've changed the rules significantly enough where it's it's accepted now. It's accepted that uh, you don't have to be uh, ginormous to be a defenseman. As a matter of fact, our goaltenders have gotten significantly bigger right. in the past 25, 30 years, and our defensemen have actually gotten smaller. <laughs> Those are just uh, being in tune with what's happening with the rules in the National Hockey League. Tori Krug is an incredibly effective player. Um, the question is, is there room for him on the Boston Bruins roster under this salary cap scenario? And the answer is not a, not a concrete, clear one, but uh, it's going to be mission difficult at best, in my opinion, to, to keep him because he's played at a pretty uh, economical $5.25 million cap hit for the last number of years. He's going to get a significant raise. He's still only 28 years old, but um, is that where Don Sweeney is going to invest? I'm sure he's going to want to, um, but at the same time, some of the biggest mistakes, if you look at teams like the LA Kings and even Chicago Blackhawks, to some degree, teams that have had sustained success was uh, overstretching themselves on some of their core players as they began to get closer to that 30-year age mark. That's the case with Tory Krug, and that's going to be a tough decision for uh, Bruins management, in my opinion, how to handle that. So, Brian, I just did, I did want to just ask you a bigger picture question as far as the Bruins and the Atlantic Division. Um, you know, while the Bruins were collecting uh, one point a lot of times in these last few weeks, you know, the Lightning have turned things around. They've won uh, a bunch of games in a row. They've closed the gap a little bit. Toronto has as well. Um, do you see a race? Do we have an Atlantic Division race, whereas one maybe a month ago we thought the Bruins were going to cruise all the way to the end here? Uh, we absolutely have a race. The Bruins built up some great currency early on in the season. You know, they're 4-1-5 and five in their last 10. You know, if they could have, <coughs> excuse me, just converted a couple of those overtime <laughs> right. losses, then things would look a lot different. The fact of the matter is Tampa Bay – is just seven points behind them, and they have two games in hand. And right now it looks like they may never lose again. That's <laughs> not going to be the case. But they're finally playing close to the level that we expected them to, and I do think we'll, we'll have a bit of a dogfight uh, down the stretch here, and I think the Bruins recognize that in their game last night. A, a tough game to go in and, and play an opponent that hasn't necessarily achieved to the level they would have liked, changed their coach, um, but I thought they handled it really beautifully, and I think that has to do with a little bit of recognition that the Tampa Bay Lightning are coming like a freight train. Toronto Maple Leafs are playing better, um, but it's the Lightning that would concern me as a as a Bruins coach, player, or general manager. Well, we thank you for the time, Brian. Good insight. Uh, before we let you go, you, you played eight games as a Bruin in the 89-90 season. Do you have a lasting memory? What's <laughs> What's the lasting vision of your time in Boston? 
You know what? We all do things in life that uh, you look back on and you wish you had done it differently. I played eight games for the Boston Bruins. Mike Milbury was the coach. Um, that organization could not have treated me any better. I had been through a rough stretch, uh, but I did not play uh, well. As a matter of fact, I'm embarrassed by how I played when I was there. It was so important to me growing up in the area, and it's just one of those areas where I absolutely blew it. Uh, they gave me a tremendous opportunity. I didn't take advantage of it. I told Harry Sinden the story years later, and he laughed about it. He said, I never really had anybody be that honest, Brian. <laughs> I said, sorry, Harry. I just, I call it the way I see it. Um, I tried to make up for it when I would come back and play the Bruins by scoring, which I did pretty routinely against them. But, uh it's it's just one of those things. We all have something in life that, that personally irks me that I didn't play better when given an, an excellent opportunity. Well, good uh, In good honesty, I would echo what uh, Harry Sinden is saying. I'm not, I'm not sure I've heard that before, but That's right. <laughs> good honest assessment. Thank you for the time. We'll be uh, watching you on NHL Network. Thank you. Thanks again. Thanks, Brian. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. So there you have it. Our thanks to Brian Lawton, who was awful critical of his eight games. So I, I didn't mean to hit on a sore spot there. Jeez. Holy cow. I that's brought that up. tough, but I say that's the type of content you get on the Skate Podcast, though. Everyone wants Brutal to come honestly. here and bear their soul. Yeah, people just bleed on the air. <laughs> Good God. He did. I saw the stat line. Zero, no goals, no assists yeah. in eight games, 14 penalty minutes. I mean, he was <laughs> with Milbury as the coach. That, that must Although have been I guess bloody. If, yeah, if you think about it, it was Steve Shields was pretty hard on himself True. as well when he was here. So maybe uh, we have to keep getting these failed Bruins. They have a lot to say. Yikes. Good God. All maybe, right. maybe someday the skate pod will have Brett Ritchie on, and he'll talk about it was the <laughs> first part of his career. <laughs> uh, man. All right, so we have a schedule coming up for the Bruins that has some borderline playoff teams, I would say, Winnipeg, yep. Philly, Columbus, and in there, of course, the Islanders. And yeah, the, those are all, I mean, difficult games. I mean, Columbus, yeah. as much as I hate John Tortorella personally, or, you know, just as far as the fact that he treats people like crap, uh <laughs> Doing a, probably his best coaching job ever. Yep. I, you watch that team when they played here. If they had Panarin, how good would they be? If just one mm-hmm. of those guys that left there would have stayed. Wow. Yep. So, uh, yeah, those are all difficult games. But, if you know, if the Bruins can at least play close to what they did in Nashville, they're they're in those games. They they win most of them. And they just got to, you know, keep, keep the focus going. And at some point here, there will be an addition. I don't know if it'll be a major addition or a lesser addition. Even just adding Stanicka might... Give them a little bit midseason spark. I mean, you have to understand. I mean, people say, "Oh, they don't know." I hate this idea that they're not trying or they don't care. That's never the case. Um, they've been playing hockey nonstop, you know, except for like a two month break in there, and yeah. we knew it was going to be hard, right? We we all knew there was going to be a wall. There was going to be points where they weren't going to want to play because they didn't, you know, play well because it's not the same playing in May and June as it is playing in January, and. Um, you know, just adding a Stadnicka, some fresh blood might help them if not, if not a trade, bef- you know, before now. But there'll be a trade before the deadline, right? We're not going to see the Don Sweeney standing pat thing he was so. doing before last year. Unless Stadnicka's awesome. Yeah, that, I guess that could be it. But they still have to add. They still need depth. Even if is great, they still need at least a D and maybe a forward. Maybe possibly I need to sit out the All-Star game, pull the Ovechkin. <laughs> He's in Ovechkin's hey, class. I'm all for sitting out the All-Star game for these people because I don't understand the point. They keep making it more and more difficult on these guys. Three-on-three tournament, there's no place to uh, to hide. You know, the old All-Star game, you could go out there and just skate around. Now you can't do that. It's Pasta's game, though. He's oh. No D and just... You know he loves it because, as we know, he doesn't play hockey for money, Matt. <laughs> he plays it for the fans. All right, talk to you next week. Do you have anything in the hopper or you just want to we'll just surprise people? Yeah, we'll just surprise people. 
Okay. Don't forget to check out our other fine podcast on the Rob Bradford Pod Combination Network. You've been mocked by Lucy and Elaine this week already. Uh, we have the five outs. Who else do we have? Uh, the Fantasy Podcast. Yep. Gambling I, Podcast. All fantastic. I don't, I don't even really need to Oh, and of course the Off Day Pod, Tom, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Tom Brady Watch Podcast. So. Correct. Uh, see you next week. Thank you.